Hi guys, welcome and welcome back to the podcast. I've been meaning to watch that. I am your host, Monica, and I am joined with an awesome guest. New week, new pod, new guests. And you know what, guys? I'm just going to go ahead and pass it off to this amazing person and allow them to introduce themselves to you guys. Hello, my name is Aria Vells. I am a TikToker who mostly does lesbian and queer media, including movies, and I'm just... I'm just a woman who really enjoys lesbian movies and yep. all forms of media. <laughs> yep, guys. Um, you pronounce the name Aria, right? Yes, right? Aria. Okay. okay, Aria. Yeah, Great. Aria. Guys, Aria is one of my favorite TikTokers. I was telling her this before we got on, but like she's well before we like turn on the mics. But she's one of my favorite TikTokers, and it is honestly such a joy to have you on i'm actually really happy that you're here because oh shucks <laughs> honored honored yeah, it's too kind <laughs> it's great to have you on uh i'm so happy you're here and guys um just keeping a theme with uh the things that aria usually talks about on tiktok we are going to be discussing the phenomenal film that is tar starring the amazing and effervescent cat kate blanchett kate, yes okay <laughs> Why did I forget her name? Gosh, I'm sorry. But we, oh, the we... lesbians are gonna go at you for that one. Oh, <laughs> oh gosh, don't don't attack me, please, <laughs> please, please. Okay, but before we get into Tar, we are going to jump into the segment "Can't Wait to Watch," where we talk about uh, movies and TV shows that are coming out soon, and we also get into a little bit of entertainment news. And this is a movie I haven't talked about on my podcast yet because when it was first announced. I was just kind of like waiting for more information behind the movie and also despite the fact that I have a movie podcast I am terrible at keeping up with new releases and like new movie news but I can't escape this anymore she's coming it's Barbie it's coming (gasps) I was literally on my list I'm like I'm gonna talk about Barbie's it's not really my thing but you know what we gotta talk about Barbie because I'm hyped yeah Honestly, there was uh, another trailer that was released recently, and there are a couple of little Easter eggs that people keep throwing out and people are very interested in, and I just want to say I am excited for this movie. I think it's going to be so interesting, and it's definitely like watching the trailer for this film, um, usually I am not a huge fan of like movies releasing a lot of trailers, because mm-hmm. I want some mystery, mm-hmm. you know, I want, I want to like, I don't want to know everything, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I need you to give me like little bits and pieces, but this movie, like they keep releasing trailers and I feel like it's just feeding into the hype for the film and mm-hmm. it really is kind of benefiting it in a way. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think that people are really enjoying it. Like I'm definitely intrigued, you know, everything about the, um, the press tour, in regards to like promoting the film, like Margot Robbie yeah. being on Vogue, Ryan Gosling talking about how he much loves he how much he loves playing Ken, and like mm-hmm. him talking about how Margot Margot Robbie was like so nice to him and giving him like pink presents every single day when they're on set and everything else in regards to the movie, I am very excited to watch it because I just I don't know what to expect, I don't know yes. what's gonna happen, I don't know like what Greta Gerwig is going to serve to us in this film but mm-hmm. I am overall just like the anticipation is the anticipation is killing me like oh I'm, I'm hyped <laughs> I'm hyped yeah when this is like day it, one. Oh yeah 
like from the time it was announced, like how people were like Barbie and Oppenheimer. This is our <laughs> Super Bowl. And I, I, I don't I even like, know. I have not even seen a trailer for Oppenheimer. I'm like, if Oppenheimer's coming out the same yeah. day as Barbie, I don't even want to know. I'm just watching Barbie. Honestly, I mean, there was a trailer that was released for um, Oppenheimer, but it was a while ago. Mm-hmm. You know? And I know that like that's probably going to be a pretty good movie. But also, right. I feel like the girls know what they're going to see. Oh, totally. Yeah. Like, I feel like when it really comes down to like award season, that's what we're going to see like yeah heat up where's the drama you know it's gonna be a barbie sweep at the oscars Mm. that would be so funny and i know you know they're gonna be those film bros that Mm -hmm. will absolutely die over like fight club and like we'll feel some type of way if barbie gets any sense of like critical acclaim or any kind of praise, yeah. and they'll try to write the movie off. But say people mm-hmm. that like try to like be like, "Oh, I didn't understand turning red. I don't know what to do." It's like it wasn't for yeah. you. Like the <laughs> girls who get it, get it. Yeah, like, that's just it. One hundred percent. Right. One hundred percent. Also, Barb, like Barbie, Barbie can be for boys too. Yeah. Barbie's for everyone. There are literally men in the movie. Like, yeah, we put something in there for you. Hello. Right. <laughs> be happy. God. Exactly. Why Everyone is will love it. Simu in the movie if not for you? I know. You're welcome. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. So, uh, I think, yes. I like when you have when you first heard about you know the Barbie film, the cast, the trailer. Yeah. Tell me, like, what do you think? Well, of course, initially I was like, okay, this is going to be some kind of corporate cash grab. I don't know if, like, you know, like this happens all the time with various toys and various properties. And then, like everyone else, it was just like, oh, Greta Gerwig mm. is directing it. And then seeing Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling be cast in it. And then uh, seeing the, the behind the scenes pictures being released of, like, Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling on skates at the beach. Mm-hmm. Every drip of information it's just the most beautiful drip of information i've seen in a film in which every single piece that has come out more people have been excited and Mm -hmm. i have certainly been excited because it's just like like where do you go where do you go with a movie like barbie um yeah and about the brand like the brand of barbie Mm -hmm. because uh that's what i think is particularly intriguing because barbie has all these animated movies um but what i really like about this movie is that it's almost like it's going to be i don't know necessarily a deconstruction of the brand but certainly an examination of the barbie brand particularly Mm -hmm. with like the latest trailer we have in which yeah yeah, i don't want to spoil the trailer but the latest trailer certainly implies some kind of like investigation into like what the barbie brand means and Honestly, I'm completely open to it. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. My <clears throat> my kind of theory on the film is mm-hmm. that obviously Greta Gerwig, who is a phenomenal filmmaker, is yeah. you know using um, basically iconic uh, images and scenes from other well-known films like The Matrix and Space Odyssey, not in a way to parody it, but almost to say something like, Barbie is such an amazing symbol and like emblematic toy 
and like yeah. thing that young women enjoyed and loved and people wrote mm-hmm. it up as dumb so i'm going to take these phenomenal movies that everybody has seen and they revere and they admire and have gained such critical acclaim and all these little scenes that you love for them that make them so iconic and i'm going to put them in my little barbie mm-hmm. movie and i'm going to make a stand <laughs> about this little pink movie and right. you all may write it off but let me tell you something i'm here to say something okay i'm totally. a bird all right i am that girl yes yes like 100 percent. greta gerwig greta gerwig makes movies for the girls yes for all types of girls mm-hmm. and barbie is gonna rock it yeah yes and honestly i'm very happy with um i'm happy that greta gerwig is doing barbie because greta gerwig did kind of fall into like the category of like the sad white girl for me like mm. fleabag phoebe mm. bridgers yeah um girls. oh my gosh yes and then lady bird just like hops right in that same category interesting of like interesting. millennial um young not too young but like kind of young white women who are like depressed and like trying to mm. find meaning in their life in their like very basic and slightly intersectional feminism because they mm-hmm, have that mm-hmm. one black friend from college that they sometimes talk to <laughs> from time to time like that mm-hmm. is the vibe that i get from that category of white women so Greta mm-hmm, Gerwig making Barbie is giving her the chance to make a movie that is amazing something right. that will definitely be it's definitely a film that hasn't been done before and I know it's going right. to be done well and it's also the opportunity to have her make a film with like genuine diversity and not right. in a way where she's like look mm-hmm. a black person in right film and then they're there for two seconds and they're gone like in girls when like donald mm. glover played a republican and was dating like <laughs> lena dunham it's yeah. that kind of like hey look jessica williams yeah. is in this episode and then you're never gonna see her again <laughs> you know it's something that is like it's it, it it's meaningful, totally you know yeah i agree i think i think the diversity aspect of it again i think it's, it's I don't know. I guess I don't want to make too many assumptions, but I like how you see a lot of diversity and there's, and all of them are Ken. Mm -hmm. All of them are, are, you know, different products, maybe speaking to the globalization of Barbie and just Mm -hmm. how like Barbie is this huge international brand. But I, I'm just really curious to see what it is going to say. And certainly, and this is so funny that you mentioned like Fleabag and Phoebe Bridgers, because Mm -hmm. like my wife, absolutely loves Fleabag, absolutely loves Phoebe Bridgers. And I'm like, I cannot deal with that sad girl stuff. It is, <laughs> I cannot deal with it. Yeah. Lady Bird. I only really got through Lady Bird because I actually was like quite moved by the trajectory of the relationship between the mother and the daughter. Um, But, but certainly like sad, sad girl stuff. Not mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. No, I'm definitely like, I relate heavily to sad girl stuff. And mm-hmm. it's, in a way where I love Fleabag. Like, I mm. genuinely do love Fleabag. And I enjoy it because I do see parts of myself in this show where Fleabag is just, like... It's not that she's sad, so to speak. It's just that she craves intimacy. And mm. she craves mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. kind of touch and feeling from somebody right. so desperately that she will find it in a relationship. That she will find it in love. And... For most everyday people, they just kind of look 
and looks for it in other people and in community and in their friendships. And when you watch the show, you see that she is so desperate in it, desperate for it because she lacks it. She lacks mm-hmm. it from her family. She is lacking in it from just her romantic life, but she lacks that kind of love for herself and genuinely mm-hmm. taking care of herself and just like, sh- like having some self-respect for herself, especially in the first season. If you watched mm-hmm. the first season, you know what I'm talking about. And I love Fleabag also because um, she's a kind of character where you will watch her do something and it's like, girl, are we really <laughs> making this choice? <laughs> like, seriously? But then uh-huh. you gotta look at your own life and you think back to the things that you've done and you're like, you know what? I can't judge her that badly because there have been some times where like, I did something that I probably shouldn't have done. So I mm-hmm. find mm-hmm. such kinship in like the Phoebe Bridgers and in um, you know, uh Fleabag and the Kristen Stewarts of like the moody white girl who kinda like <laughs> keeps to herself. Cause I am mm-hmm. a little bit moody and I keep to myself, but not in like the mysterious white girl kind of way. But for me mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. It, obviously it's different. But um I am that's also why I like have such a kinship to Greta Gerwig because that's the kind of film mm-hmm. she makes. And also right. like, other white female directors like Sofia Coppola you know mm. the existential um longing and yearnings of white women and like oh right my, gosh, what is my place in this world as I yep. ascend in my whiteness and hold on to my femininity totally. the, ugh, the fragileness totally. of my whole lifehood like what is it what does it mean oh my gosh what can I do it's like girl <laughs> yeah, I just watched I just watched the bling ring for the first time and uh yeah it's a lot of like white you know white girls white girls just trying to like they seem like they are um on like this kind of meaningless path or just with filled with like abject boredom and so they like act out Mm -hmm. um which is just so weird i don't know like just watching a bunch of rich kids be bored and therefore be destructive yeah. is fascinating i'm so bored with my beautiful wonderful life right that i'm going to do something absolutely outrageous like breaking into totally. people's homes and stealing their things and think right. there are no consequences for my actions just for like fun just for fun right. just to flex with Wild. my friends and if i'm sent to jail if i'm sent to court who cares my fit is gonna be fire <laughs> and you will all know my name like absolutely so wild yeah i mean overall i'm excited for barbie um Mm -hmm. i can't wait for this movie to come out i feel Mm -hmm. like every day up until it comes out i just see more and more stuff about it and Mm -hmm. i know when the movie finally comes out if it doesn't like get 100 percent raw tomatoes like film twitter is going to burn film twitter Mm -hmm. is going to literally self-destruct like i I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm honestly <laughs> going to have to like uninstall every single app from my phone and just like unplug the internet from my computer because mm-hmm. if I do not see this movie opening night, I will have I will have basically just I'll be done. Cuz by the time I hop on Twitter, someone's going to be like, "Oh my gosh, can you believe Ken did X Y and Z?" and then it's over for me. Like this is the mm-hmm. one movie I don't want spoiled for me cuz I really don't know totally. what's going to happen. Totally, totally. I mean, I feel like we could have a basic idea that Barbie's going to, like, find um, some kind of human connection and realize what it means to, like, be a person. But honestly, we don't know what's going to happen in this movie. So I'm excited to see what happens. And if Margot Robbie 
does win any kind of award for this film, it will mm-hmm. be well deserved. Yeah, she will win our hearts. That's what I guarantee. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the best prize of all. Yes. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, are there any um new releases that you're excited to see that are coming out soon? I only have a few. Well, uh, it's not it's not totally new. It's coming out in the winter, but uh, the the trailer for the Color Purple movie musical also released oh, this yeah, past week, did. and that's one of my very highly anticipated movies of the year. Mm. I love the Color Purple musical, um, and obviously, it's a beautiful book. It's a beautiful movie. It's a beautiful mm. musical, and I'm very excited about the musical because I think it's you know the musical is like closer to the book than the Steven Spielberg film is. And with that, there's the the relationship on Celie and Suge has placed like a lot more importance and a lot more love. And although we don't see that in the trailer, I do think it's fascinating that like none of that relationship is really shown in the trailer. I am really excited for for that part of the movie, and just because the Color Purple musical is just like beautiful, so I'm really intrigued by this movie adaptation of it. I I am excited for. The color purple to come out. I think it's coming out around Christmas. Yeah, I right? think it's coming out. I think it is coming out Christmas. Also, there were some pictures released around um the Wicked movie. Oh yes, yes. yes. I have to say, Jonathan Bailey, truly <laughs> one of the greatest actors of our time. You watch Bridgerton, you completely yes. forget this man is. Yeah. And he's a theater boy. He's a theater yes. boy. He's been doing theater, yes. musical theater for a while. Yes. It's funny because I know him from like one episode of Doctor Who. And from <laughs> there, I've been obsessed with him ever since. Mm-hmm. Like speaking of Fleabag, he was in the show that like uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge created. I think before Fleabag, it was called Crashing. The Ooh. first and only season is on Netflix. So you should watch it. <laughs> it literally, Crashing is as short as season one of Fleabag. And it's oh, it's wow. just, it's funny. It's funny, it's sexy, it's wild, it's chaotic, it's so good. Mm-hmm. And the fact that there's only one season is a crime. Yeah. Because it's so good. And Jonathan Bailey is phenomenal in Crashing. And I haven't watched Bridgerton Season 2, but I did see, like, well, obviously when Bridgerton Season 2 came out, there were a lot of, like, clips and a lot of, like, mm-hmm. gifts coming out on Twitter of, like, the hand-holding and, like, the other things happening because Simone Ashley is beautiful and Jonathan Bailey plays like a, a pr- like he plays nobility so well and mm-hmm. wa- like seeing the little clips that people put on Twitter and on Tumblr I was just like isn't this man gay? How is he doing this? <laughs> it's like how is I was watching this and I was like oh if he wasn't I would be thinking like they were you yeah know, totally totally like it's so good and to see him in Wicked too I'm just Oh my gosh, I'm so excited because this is going to be yeah. so much fun. Like, Some actors are just blessed with having good chemistry with whoever they're on screen with. Honestly. And Jonathan Bailey is one of those people. And mm-hmm. I, oh my gosh, I just love him so much. He's so <laughs> he's so phenomenal. Like, he's such a good actor. I talked about yeah. him in another podcast that I did, um, I think a week or two ago. But like, I, I just love him. And Queen Charlotte just came out and I'm hoping to do like a series on like Queen Charlotte and then Bridgerton season one and then Bridgerton Ooh. season two because it's been a while since I've watched Bridgerton and I think that they're going to do seasons in the same order as the books and I think there are like Ooh. six or seven books 
mm-hmm. feel like it's possible because it is a Shonda Rhimes production. So it's likely mm-hmm. that they're just going to keep bankrolling all of her productions. Um, so Bridgerton season three, you know. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we'll see what happens next. I didn't read the books. I did when Bridgerton season one did come out, I did watch like every single booktuber's video comparing Bridgerton oh, wow. the TV show to Bridgerton the books. And I will be back on that for the new pod when we talk about Bridgerton, which I'm excited for. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Yes. Bridgerton. Um, I don't know if there's anything else I'm excited to see quite yet i know spider-man across the spider-verse is coming oh, yes. out like next literally next week like next we're recording this on a oh, friday God. it's coming oh, out God. june 2nd and oh i can't wait for that movie either i cannot wait also i'm glad it's the summer because uh, my siblings are like back from school because they're in college so i can go see that movie with them i think it's gonna be a lot of fun yeah oh, my gosh i feel like that's gonna there are a couple movies that are coming out that like me personally, I hate seeing these on opening day. I hate it. Oh really? I hate it. I don't want to oh be in a gosh. movie theater packed with people. No, I, I love I, that though. It's, it's, I don't like it. I like empty movie theaters. I want really? to be quiet. Mm. I want a big room to myself because I like to talk sure. during the movies. And mm-hmm. if I talk during the movies when other people are there, they look at me crazy. <laughs> then... <laughs> and I can't handle the shame. So. No, that's fair. I love going when there's a huge crowd. I love going on opening nights, midnight mm. screenings. The energy is so palpable. Um, and I just think it totally enhances the movie theater experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I'm also like, I'm also, you know, I work in, I work in theater and I love seeing plays. And I think that's something mm-hmm. I also love in plays that the energy of the crowd just totally helps shape the experience of the art itself. I haven't seen a musical in so long. I actually used to be in theater. I want to get back. Oh, long overdue. Long overdue. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll be seeing Into the Spider-Verse in theaters when that comes out. Because I also have this really bad habit of when movies are coming out in theaters. I'm like, oh, I want to go see it. I want to go watch it. And then Mm. when I finally have time and money to go see it, it's like, oops, it's on streaming. Oops, it's on digital. Mm -hmm. Oops, you can rent it on YouTube. Ah! So I do really want to see spider-man into the spider-verse in theaters mm-hmm. yes and speaking of marvel um recent news came out today this morning that the uh, new marvel movie thunderbolts is the latest Ooh. movie to be hit by the writer's strike apparently it's delayed in filming and oh, they will it's just delayed due to the ongoing writer's strike right and they said it's not expected to commence until the strike ends which to me, is fine. There have been a lot of trade right. publications that have been kind of like spinning the story of like the writer's strike is like uh, pausing all your favorite movies. And like a lot of people said the same thing about the writer's strike in like 07 that like it ruined heroes, it ended girlfriends. And like overall, yeah. writers sh- should be allowed, writers are striking because they want right. to be paid with their due. If you don't get your Marvel movie and the totally. next year when you want it, Guess what, babe? They have other yeah. things slotted to come out this year, anyways. Right. If you are missing your Marvel uh, content, go to Disney Plus and watch yeah. the thirty other Marvel <laughs> movies that are on the streaming platform. 
Yeah. Like, Jesus. Because by the time this new Marvel movie comes out, you guys are going to be like, who are these people? What's going on? How are they connected? Yeah. Why am I watching this? If you did your homework before the test came, you would be prepared. Mm-hmm. So. Totally. And if you're mad about delays in movies, be mad at the studios. The writers just yeah. want to get paid. Yeah. yeah. Be mad at the studios. Yeah. Don't like throw a hissy fit on Twitter. Okay. Totally, totally. It's the same way where people were like, um, you know, feeling some type of way about She-Hulk and the CGI in the show. Ah, uh, yes. VFX artists were speaking out about their um, how they were not treated well at Marvel, how a lot of things were rushed, how they were overworked. And that happens a lot when it comes to like corporations because they will push their workers to, um, they'll push them to work and redo things and reshoot things and they don't get paid properly and it's unfair that these people who work on the movies that you love have to completely mm-hmm. redo shots simply because a director tells them to do it or mm-hmm. because the studio is not happy with how it's done and it takes time for, to get these things right but they don't have right. the time or the patience because they want to release things on a certain schedule because they have their little fan boys and girls all riled up mm-hmm. for the newest Marvel movie to come out and if it's not perfect then they have feel some type of way like I don't mm-hmm. know what to tell you guys like we survived, <laughs> we survived Thor Dark World like oh, one gosh. bad Marvel movie is not going to completely right. kill your love for the franchise. Right. Totally. Yeah. Like you're fine. I understand <laughs> Thor Love and Thunder wasn't exactly Thor Ragnarok 2. But <laughs> they got it I, done. They made it. It's out. I think I still need I think like the last five Marvel movies I have not seen. I've really been flailing behind. The only Marvel movie, the re- most recent one that I've watched in full is Black Panther 2. And, like, mm. I loved that movie. And I knew it was going to be, like, sad. But it was sad. Yeah. But it was still so good. It was so good. Yes. Oh, my God. I think that's the only one I've been able to see in the past, like, two, like year or two. And, yes, I, I also cried. I also cried a lot. The opening, the opening sequence, I cried. The ending sequence, I cried. Random parts in the middle, I cried. <laughs> yeah, I mean, overall, it was a really great movie, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it. And I know that like some people were not happy with like Ant Man, Quantumania. I haven't seen that. I know it's on Disney Plus now, so I think I might watch it. And like, I've seen some clips, and I see what people said about it being bad. And overall, <laughs> I'm just gonna say this, and I don't care like what this says about me. <laughs> Any Marvel movie that comes out, I'm just gonna watch it because bright lights and things go pew pew and everyone is hot and I'm entertained. <laughs> that's that's it at the end of the day. Like mm-hmm. I paid for the C plus. I'm a fan. Like I'm gonna shut up and enjoy my food. That's mm-hmm. what I'm gonna do. Okay. <laughs> that's Heck <it>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um yeah, I think that's gonna be it for uh can't wait to watch so we're mm-hmm. gonna dive deep into the topic of the podcast which is talking about the movie tar and mm-hmm. i have to say trying to find a way to watch this movie was not easy <laughs> <laughs> no way really i guess you like don't have peacock no i don't have peacock there is fair. Just, bro there are too many streaming services like I know. i feel like peacock is one of those streaming services where like you really need to have like a couple of shows that you genuinely want to watch on there 
And yeah. the only show I know that's on Peacock that I want to watch is Poker Face. And mm. listen, I'm just going to pirate it. <laughs> okay? I'm just gonna. Natasha Leon is rich. Okay? Yeah. And even if I watch her streaming, she doesn't get paid. She barely gets paid for the streams that I have on Peacock. So, you know. <laughs> I'm that's the only that's the only show I know that's on Peacock besides like I guess The Office cuz that's what they try to do for for that to be like a big draw for people to watch Peacock is to have The Office yeah. and Friends, I think. You know, there are some great shows on it. Rutherford Falls is so good. Mm-hmm. Girls 5 Eva is super good. Oh, we I are did Lady Parts. Oh, yes. your lady parts is on there. I've actually yes. been watching the show forever. Yeah, it's good. Not to be a total shill for Peacock or whatever. Um, but my my mom and my brother, my mom, my brother, and I were just talking about it. That all three of us, like our group chat, basically just exists to remind each other what all of our streaming passwords are because mm-hmm. all three of us have equally bought subscriptions to all these different streaming platforms that we all share amongst each other. Yeah. That's what we do in my podcast. In, sorry, in my family group chat too. But it's mm-hmm. actually the group chat with just my siblings because I have three other ones. And it's not like all of our streaming pla- streaming passwords. It's just mine because I'm the only person who has Amazon, Hulu, and Netflix. Like I'm the only person uh, who pays yes. for them all. Even though mm-hmm. my sister, who is much older than me, and she makes more money than me, <laughs> and she actually lives on her own, still uses my Netflix. Like... Like, she can't have her own Netflix and pay rent. Like, Netflix <laughs> is the one thing that's going to break her budget. Hmm. I know she doesn't, she doesn't really listen to podcasts every week, but, like, on the off chance that she does listen to this one, I want her to know that, <laughs> I, feel, <laughs> that I feel like I'm feeling some kind of way. Yeah. But uh, today, guys, we're talking about Tar, the phenomenal 2020 film written directed by Todd Field. It stars Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tarr. And I think a lot of people thought this movie was like a biopic because mm. <laughs> there have been so many biopics coming out that people are like, is Lydia Tarr a real person? Like, <laughs> no. God, if she was. Like, Loki, I did think she was a real person. I was like, is, mm-hmm. I, I Loki was Googling, like, is this girl real? But she's not. <laughs> she's not. Um, it's a film about Lydia Tarr. She is a renowned conductor and you know the film starts off with her uh, with us like learning about like who she is she is the first female chief conductor of the berlin philharmonic she uh, has a personal assistant francesca who she relies deeply on and also her wife and concert master sharon and you know the movie starts off with an interview um for the new yorker festival and she talks about her um, upcoming live recording of Mahler's Fifth Symphony. And, you know, she is just a well-regarded, well-beloved, phenomenal um, uh, conductor. But as we watch the film, we soon realize that Lydia Ta is um, something of a controversial figure, to say mm-hmm. it lightly. And I do have mm-hmm. to say, like, I do want to... Uh, talk a little bit about the scene where she's at Juilliard with yes these... <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the student because I remember uh, watching this movie and watching that scene and just being so uncomfortable with the whole yes. thing and I was trying to be like you know what she's older this is how some people feel because mm-hmm. it's that thing where um, yes she is a woman 
And yes, right. she is a lesbian. But mm-hmm. also, that does not mean that she sees things in the same way that we all see things. She's mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, women can date women. And you know what? Feminism is great. But when it comes to gender identity, hold on. Now we've gone too far. Like She feels like one of those people. And in her mm-hmm. whole monologue, it was kind of like laying at the groundwork of her saying things like, um, why would you discount Beethoven just because the personal life he lives? Does that take away from his art? Does that take away mm-hmm. from like what he's done to impact music? And it's kind of like this whole conversation of separating the art from the artist. You know what I mean? Right. Which like, I see what you're doing here, ma'am. But when we bring in like real life examples that we have in the real world, um, you kind of have to separate the art from the artist because if someone... You know, there are people who are terrible and they do mm-hmm. terrible things and they make money off the art that they create. And if you want to ignore the things that people have done to simply continue to enjoy their works, you are essentially bankrolling their life still. So they feel like they are still kind of getting away with the things that they have done, you know. But um, I want to mm-hmm. get your thoughts on it, um, Ariel. Yeah, so, yeah, Uh it's interesting because this scene encapsulates so much of who Lydia Tarr is. I, I think just on a technical level, mm-hmm. it's a beautifully done scene. It's like almost all done entirely in one shot with very with with extremely intentional camera movements um, that were like it's almost ballet like in how uh, meticulous it is. Mm-hmm. And the scene itself is so fascinating because I think it it covers like a couple of things. One is the major theme of like what does it mean to separate the art from the artist Mm -hmm. and can you do that uh both in the past and in the present Mm -hmm. and i think it also tackles just what it means for for lydia of being what being a conductor is like Mm -hmm. um and what the music industry is like of constantly you know that you must um adapt change well yeah that that you have to like submerge submerge yourself in the artist's work that you have to uh you have to like exalt yourself to the artist's work and that you also must be willing to like have these extremely challenging discussions um that you have to be willing to be um extremely direct and extreme in some cases extremely cruel to get the results that you want and that is so much of what tar is it's about you know what power does to people and the way that power makes you act and so here she is in this classroom like extremely renowned with all of these you know children practically they're all probably like 18 to 20 um and here she is basically um making them squirm by being like by, by challenging their notion that like because you know Beethoven lived like a, maybe a shady personal life that his art is now should be rendered meaningless in mm-hmm. in the present but to tar like that's kind of immaterial um yeah. and that it's it's like a sign of weakness if someone does think that that is material um and I think that's sometimes a lot in the art world like you know i'm in theater but certainly when it comes to some some ways that people do classic 
productions when people think about different like you know does the personal life of the authors does that inform the way we view the art some people are like who cares just like look at the art the way that it is Mm -hmm. um yeah it's just like a really fast it's a really fascinating scene and in some ways i kind of cringe because you know the, the 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 guy that she's talking to who's like who who literally calls himself like a a bipoc pan gender so, like something that like a real person would never truly describe themselves i think um but but as just like a token of today's concerns about i i guess what we would call cancel culture yeah uh both like a diatribe against it but also like that's a scene where you could totally interpret her being absolutely wrong or her being absolutely right which i mm. think is something that i really enjoy about the film yeah, when he described himself as like bipoc pangendered, I was like, ooh, lightning jumped out. <laughs> right. right, like okay, like an actual like bipoc pangender person would never call themselves yeah. that. He probably would have just said like, yeah, it's like he probably would have said like, oh, I don't listen to Buck. You know, he was kind of a misogynist, so he's not really my favorite. And like say something like, I'm into blah right. blah blah and blah blah blah. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's clear that this scene is obviously meant to be kind of open to interpretation, but also revealing to us who Lydia Tarr is. Someone who like kind of just speaks her mind. And she literally right. like eviscerates Max. In, in totally front of, like, eviscerates. Yeah. In front of his peers. And right. not only that, you are literally watching someone who like looks up to and idolizes Tar and sees mm-hmm. her as someone who is phenomenal and amazing and talented and to have her completely like just destroy him in front of like all his friends you see how quickly that um you see how quickly the like pedestal he put her on just crashes to the ground you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. even like i like the camera like kind of focuses in on like his nervous tick and just right. like how he kind of talks to the, the ground and her literally like putting her hand on his leg and like pushing it down is her like her positioning herself as a control right. freak like Absolutely. you're just here to like kind of just lead a class and like you're supposed to teach them how yeah. to conduct and now right. here we go in this like 10 minute lecture on like your yes. personal beliefs and like what's wrong with this generation her literally says, right. saying something like the architect of your soul is social media and yeah. also just kind of like bringing them down and mm-hmm. it's this you know obviously the older generation pointing out the newer generation and you want to pull the example of like oh well you definitely had she has like others there are other scenes in the movie where she is put in that same situation where people of an older generation are kind of putting her down almost when she talks about how like we should have more female conductors mm-hmm. and she <laughs> finds out that one of the people she works for is worth probably a Nazi. Like, <laughs> yeah. she has to confront the fact that, like, the people that she admires and knows um, are not great people as well and how they disappoint them. And obviously, the scene is meant to bring a lot of shock value to the movie and draw people in. And a lot of people have um, talked about how this scene was the solidifier for um, her being nominated for an Academy Award because. <laughs> I could I could tell like the Academy voters ate this scene up. Like mm-hmm. they're like, oh, this 
Now this scene, this is what I like to see. They like related to that so heavily. And mm-hmm. sorry, I was gonna say something else, but I completely <laughs> I completely blanked. But oh, I was gonna say like um i love the movie as a whole but this is definitely one of those scenes where i was watching it and i was like this scene has absolutely been taken out of context from the mm-hmm. film and been reposted on some conservative social media site for people to praise and revere and love <laughs> and yeah well i think i think again this is what i think is kind of brilliant about the scene because you can totally approach it from wow, Lydia Tarr is speaking so much truth about how, like, art deserves its own its own study and recognition aside from the artist, and that, like, as she as she says, that you must, like, ex- exalt yourself in the artist um, and how important that is. And you can also just read that scene and be like, Lydia Tarr is so full of shit. She is just saying gobbledygook mm-hmm. um, to, to, like, you know, own to like own these woke teens um, and isn't actually saying anything meaningful um, because I, I do think that this scene does stand out in, 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 in the movie um, uh, and is the only time. And I'm like, well, I don't know if like people would actually like say these things, but I do think it, it does speak to how we get a handle on something super important to tar which is that like what the artist's biography is is secondary to respecting the art that they do um and that it is your job as an artist to always like sublimate yourself into the art Mm -hmm. that's very true and um I actually like, took notes on some of the things she said during her whole like soliloquy to Max. Mm-hmm. And she said something that like struck out to me because like she literally kind of like scoffs at his gender identity. And I have mm-hmm. to say like the way he said it is so it reads as like um, conservative influencer mocking blue haired liberals. Mm-hmm. Like it's yes. fake. It's not genuine nobody who is like queer really talks like that and if they do just ignore them please it's like that i don't know if you've ever seen that video there is this guy in the subway who has a do-rag on and he's talking to this white person who is queer and they try and be like oh well i'm queer and i'm also like part mexican and they try to like list all these parts of their identity because they live in brooklyn and they're trying to identify why they live in brooklyn because the person with the mic the black person like basically called him like a gentrifier and the way that max kind of talks reminds me of someone like that like someone who is lacks self-awareness and is so annoying and like you get one clip of somebody like that and then someone like steve crowder just runs with Mm -hmm. it to his 30 subscribers and right watching this scene and her saying this phrase like don't be so eager to be offended just yes on how like young people are so sensitive and they're so quick right. to be triggered and right. they don't they lack thick skin and they're not yeah. like you know tough it's because they get all these participation trophies and da 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 all this stuff that people don't like about like the younger generation and really yeah. like you older people spend so much time putting down the younger generation 
when you need to be talking to your own fellow peers and the people mm-hmm. in your generation because they're the ones who raised us they're the ones well, who brought us up like well to me this is something again that i think is interesting about the film because there are so many people who do eventually who are either in lydia tar's age group in her mm-hmm. sphere in her circle who are telling her uh, who who clearly know a lot of these ethically dubious things that she's done in the past, a lot yeah. of these abuses of power she's done in the past, and either they do not call her out, mm-hmm. they do not punish her for it, or they are afraid of her because she has more power over them. Yeah. And so it's quite easy for her to say, well, you can't, you can separate the art from the artist. You have to sublimate yourself to the art. You must get rid of your own ego and your own thoughts about the artist. Of course, she can say that because she at had never actually faced her own her own reckoning yet on the relationship between her personal power and her art. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Because she also says in that whole uh, monologue she has, like the problem with enrolling herself as an ultrasonic epistemic dissident is that if box talent can be reduced to his gender birth country religion and sexuality so then can yours which mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. can understand um right her being a woman and being like the first conductor she's worked so hard to get to where yeah. she is and she's fought so hard to get there and right i can understand how she's protective of that from the hard work that she's put in yeah. to the place she's at right now but that doesn't take away from the fact that, like, as we've seen in the movie, and like you said, there have been many times where she has abused her power. There have mm-hmm. been times where she has gaslit people and she has done things to please herself and she has been selfish and, you know, in turn, at times unfaithful to her wife and just unfair to the people around her who truly take care of her. And care mm-hmm. for her because she has her blinders on and the only person she's really concerned for is her own self so when mm-hmm. she sees someone like yes. mozart i mean someone like bach who is revered and well known and mm-hmm. people will gladly ignore like the things that he's done in his past simply because his music is so iconic and there's nothing like it like he is one of the most well-known composers in the world she wants that same treatment she wants that same uh, privilege and as a woman she's had to work hard for what she's gotten but that doesn't take away from, from the fact that like girl you are not a great person <laughs> like totally totally it's one of it's one of the most fascinating things about her as an anti-hero which mm-hmm. is her her capacity to never to like in those moments to never make the connection between you know between personal actions and art and to constantly be self-serving constantly only be looking out for herself and her own actions uh and the consequences not hitting her until until they do Mm -hmm. yeah i remember watching this movie and seeing like the little instances where she starts hearing things yes the supernatural parts of this movie are so fascinating yeah i actually was trying to do like a little bit of research into it i didn't really get that much information on it i feel like i don't know if that if the supernatural parts are supposed to be like her guilt personified like Mm -hmm. chasing after her and like her kind of being haunted by the things that she's done in her past 
But mm-hmm. I mean, I'm willing to see that perspective of it or to take that as yeah. like that's a possibility. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it, that's I think it's absolutely a valid interpretation. Is it her guilt manifesting? Is there finally something in her brain that is connecting all these things she does all she's done mm-hmm. i've also seen interpretations that it's like the literal ghost of her student haunting her because you see her you see her throughout the movie or you see images silhouettes that look like her with like the signature red hair mm-hmm. um and it's it could be so so many different things yeah um I remember watching just the first scene of the film mm-hmm. with the girl with the woman that like obviously met her after her New Yorker yes. article and we're kind of like okay so her assistant has a crush on her and mm-hmm. like that's what that's what my thinking was like oh her assistant like some like has some kind of crush on her or whatever and like mm. this woman is like hitting on her and stuff whatever so it's kind of like interesting just defining her you know sexuality yeah. for us just in that scene and like oh she's a little bit of a flirt whatever and then right. upon like as i continue to watch the movie i realized that it's not that the assistant is in love with her mm-hmm. it's not that i mm-hmm. think that it's possible that lydia seems to think that women who admire her and revere mm-hmm. her and just think that she is a phenomenal role model and an amazing person, she sometimes will mistake that for, you know, mm. affection or interest. And mm-hmm. I think that, like, in the beginning of the film, that scene is supposed to make us think, like, oh, Francesca is jealous because, like, mm-hmm. she has a crush on, like, her boss. When really, mm. it's like, Francesca isn't jealous. She just knows her boss does this a little too often. And maybe mm-hmm. we shouldn't be talking to people that we don't know when <laughs> you could catch a case any day yeah. now. So <laughs> I did think I do think it is a valid interpretation that Francesca has some kind of feelings towards her. And clearly it's been clear in the past that women who are close to her in a subordinate position have been able to have romantic or sexual relationships with her and certainly we don't know what Francesca's sexuality is but I don't think it's necessarily totally out of the question that there might be some feelings I certainly think that a big chunk of it is that she just thinks that being Lydia's assistant means that she will eventually absorb some of the power that Lydia has and eventually be given this power and you know that's a big plot in the movie uh but again like you know like some people are like oh this movie has too many interpretations I love it I love the yeah. amount of interpretation you can have in terms of what Francesca's motivations are and what she and if and what she did like my my wife and I were talking and we were wondering, like, all of these strange things that were happening, like the metronome going back and forth, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think, like, I wonder to what extent maybe Francesca did some of those things as mm-hmm. kind of retaliation against Lydia. Yeah. I just want to say, like, in watching this film, it's so beautiful. Like, mm, so beautiful. Even if you're watching a movie, even if when I'm watching a movie, and I don't know what's going on. Like, <laughs> yeah. 
the cinematography, it'll just, it's just like, babe, listen, you need yeah. to understand what's going on in the movie, but right, images, you know, like yes. scenes. And honestly, the movie is beautiful in its cinematography. And uh, in the beginning of the film, we start to learn a little bit about, um, I think it was like, I don't know when... Krista was I don't remember exactly when Krista was first mentioned in the movie I think it was her scene with the um I don't remember his name but the other guy they were at like a dinner and she was basically kind of like talking about how like you know she's happy that she's getting like this chance right and she wants to like open the fellowship up to more women that's where she's Mm -hmm. like um, speaking to this guy at this dinner and right she kind of like bring he brings up something like you know, she's had, like, Tar, um, Lydia, you know, you've had your own challenges in the past year or so, and she kind of brushes it off and just says, oh, well, that woman, you know, she just needed help or something right. like that. And, like, we don't really know what she's talking about or who she's talking about. And it isn't yeah. until a little bit later in the movie where she is in her office, I think it is, with um, Francesca. And yes. she's just something like, you know, the girl started to make demands. Something was not right right about her and that's when i realized that like tar she is a manipulative person she absolutely is someone who will keep young women close to her you know young women who want to be like her who want to please her who will listen to anything that she says and she will sprinkle little you know half truths in their ear to keep them close to her like i cannot imagine how long francesca worked for lydia because right. the amount like how well she knew her, how like how many times like she made her lunch and brought her things and like was yeah. at her beck and call, like anticipating the things that she would want. And even when she anticipated yeah. the things that she want, Lydia still was like, um, no matcha. It's like, girl, I know you did not ask her for any matcha. <laughs> and then the next scene, she's like, oh, I don't want it anymore. It's cold by now. It's like, you were gone for an hour. Where were you? Right. She went and got you coffee for what? You know? And of course, when you see a scene where someone is deleting old emails with someone's right. name in them, that's when you know. I, I'm curious for you for because to me, well, well, question for you: What do you think this movie would be like if Lydia Tarr was not a, a lesbian, was not a woman, was not a lesbian? If it was about a man. A straight man do you think the film would read demonstrably differently hmm. i think that it would would it read differently i'm not i want to say yes and no in the mm-hmm. way that like um with uh tar when Lydia is doing the little things she does, it's kind of like, girl, what are you doing? Like, when she straight up tells her first chair cello, I know that usually we go with you for mm-hmm. our um, solos, but what if we brought in someone different? And everybody mm-hmm. in the orchestra is like, girl, <laughs> why would you straight up ask her this? And her as the first cello is kind of like, um... I mean, yeah, we don't, I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, then, like, yeah. I feel like if it was a man in that scene, it would probably be the same thing. But mm-hmm. then, like, she probably wouldn't have been met with, like, 
such silence but maybe mm. like a little bit more of like oh yeah like a little bit more enthusiasm because oftentimes mm-hmm. when women are in roles of leadership and they want to make choices that people don't like necessarily agree with people yeah. are a little bit more apprehensive but men in a leadership role it is typically seen as like more natural you know mm-hmm. and when they ever they have whenever they have a suggestion that it's like a little bit against the grain people are like oh yeah of course like of course we'll try your way like why wouldn't we try your way you know what i mean so mm-hmm. i feel like with a guy it it would be a little bit different and i think that the scene with um max would also be different because when it's a mm. woman it's she definitely like reads off as like a bitch you know <laughs> so quick to be angry at her maybe right. if it was a guy in that scene i don't i'm not saying that he would be more receptive to it more open to mm. it but he probably wouldn't have called him a bitch you know what I, mean? mm. I feel like mm-hmm. of course he would be upset right. but he probably wouldn't have said anything in that way because lydia is a Ooh. woman dominating that scene and that is a man taking control yeah. of the room and max probably would have felt a lot more intimidated and less shamed by it yeah that's interesting that kind of like yeah it's hidden it's hidden and i do think i also think that if it was a man um i don't feel like he would have been able to fly off to the philippines and continue (laughs) to like conduct music i think that would have been it for really he would have just like packed up all his stuff moved to bora bora waited for it to (laughs) die down and then come back but not to interesting the, yeah and probably go back to the states yeah you know i'm not sure if, is the movie set in the u.s it's uh, I, uh a lot of it is set in in berlin yeah. um yeah but it, it like the penultimate section like, like the last section is somewhere in southeast asia and the penultimate section she she's back at home in like new jersey um for a bit mm-hmm. yeah i i feel like with a man there have been there would have been a lot of things that are a lot more different i also i know this for a fact if lydia tar was like logan tar or something like that yeah let me tell you something the guy would not have usurped her for being mm. conductor he probably wouldn't have they probably would have stood by him because each time she had a meeting and she was trying to like you know talk about krista it's like oh she yeah. was deranged she kept making demands. There's something off uh-huh. about her. Like interesting. The way that she says it, because it's coming through a by it's because it's coming from a woman, it probably would have seemed like shrill. Mm, it would have seemed, you know, uh, like obviously she's trying to hide something. But from a man, men know how to spin things about women mm. sounding crazy. Cause they've done it since the beginning of time. So you probably feel like, you know, she was really talented and she was a great woman. But, you know, she had problems, she had issues, and, like, I was trying to right. help her through that, you know, through her issues, but, like, there's only so much you can do with somebody, you know what I mean? Very like, he would have been able to sweet-talk his way out of it, and he probably would have conducted, and then he would have taken a leave of absence, and then mm. he would have just gone to Bora Bora. Like, that's it, <laughs> you know? So, it def- the movie would have been a lot different if it was a male conductor, yeah. is what I I hear that. Mm-hmm. I also think the movie would just be a lot more contrived. It was a if it was a male conductor. Like I think if Tar was about a male conductor doing all these things, 
I think I would be like, ugh, do we need another movie about abuse of power and how men with power can be terrible? Oh yeah, that's another thing. I didn't know what this movie was about. Oh, really? I, I didn't know what this movie was about. All I knew was that there's a Phil Tar starring <laughs> Kate Blanchett. She's yes. phenomenal in the movie. And she another is. thing that I knew was that people thought it was a biopic. And that's why I thought uh, it was nominated for Academy Award. I thought it was a biopic for a while. And if someone had told me that this was a film where Kate Blanchett plays a woman who seems like a little flirty with women and actually has like several allegations of abuse behind her name. Yes. I don't know if they would even watch the movie. And the fact that that wasn't mm. even like, it's interesting that like in the promotion of this film and yeah. the marketing of this film, this is not brought up. Like nothing in the film is really brought up. Like it's right. just Kate Blanchett. It's yeah, it her. is. The marketing is very opaque and it's about, yeah. I feel like the marketing is all about the grandness of, of the woman of Lydia Tarr and how, and also kind of filling into some of these sort of supernatural elements, some of the mystery involved because there is some mystery here, mm -hmm. but watching the film, it is so fascinating how for me, and, and, I mean, a lot of people have said that Tar is about cancel culture. I don't necessarily think it's about cancel culture. I think cancel culture is certainly a plot point. I think it is about abuse of power and how anyone can abuse power and power does not have a, a type. And to me, that was what was interesting. I think if Lydia Tar was Logan Tar, I think that'd be pretty contrived. But mm -hmm. seeing it be done by a lesbian who takes advantage of women and who has this reputation of uplifting women and yet behind closed doors abuses the people around her. To me, that's a much more fascinating mm -hmm. series of events and discussion points about the nature of power and how it can manifest and what, what do you do? Like, what can you do about it? I also think that it calls into question just her relationships in general absolutely that, like, after we find out that like it's not just krista oh no no there were other women there then i'm thinking totally. like okay then how did her and her wife start dating like how did right, this right. really happen totally like her wife is literally her concert master so basically her right hand woman mm -hmm. lydia all of lydia's relationships they are all fraught with power she does not have any relationship in which she has less power than the person that she's talking to. Mm -hmm. It's so it's just so fascinating how she's so self-serving, manipulative, and always needs to have more power in the relationship. That's why it was so like I'm not gonna lie. That scene with her and like us watching her become fascinated with the cello player and mm -hmm. watch us watching her like get close to yeah. her a little bit. Like when she walks in in the towel like mm. she opens the door and she's like in her bathroom and like mm. the other girl's hair is wet too i yeah. was immediately like is this gonna turn into what i think it's gonna turn into or am i a right like what? <laughs> well, well yeah well that's something about the film i think you are on the edge of your seat a lot with what exactly is lydia going to do there's mm -hmm. And to me, it's something that is kind of despicable about her, which is that she's so clever in knowing what line to to cross and not cross. And just having these little moments where she can insert 
her desires to other people without totally crossing that Mm -hmm. until she knows she has like total power in the situation yeah also this scene where like she drops the girl off and yeah it's just like an abandoned place yeah this is something i'd love to hear your thoughts on it because this is something that i always thought was so weird is that she drops her off in this seemingly abandoned building and then enters into this almost almost like i don't know like surrealist sequence mm-hmm. of suddenly she's in this you know like water fill like, like this maze of hallway and then sees some kind of creature yeah and it's I have no idea what that was it was like a dog a wolf right it was like some big dog but you couldn't necessarily tell and yeah. like was that it did that literally happen was that a dream sequence was that a hallucination yeah. it, it, like what is that and there are so many sequences like that where i'm like okay am i supposed to think that that literally happened or is this just some kind of internal manifestation of something else mm-hmm. is this not real some people are saying that, like, you know, there are certain sequences that are just absolute fantasy, like, like the entire end sequence is like a fantasy or, or something, which I, like, I don't personally believe that, but... The end sequence? What do you mean? Was she the ending, movie? like, when she's in Southeast Asia, like, that didn't oh. really happen. That's, that, that, that is something that she manifested or something. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I feel like that last sequence was like, I feel like that would be so embarrassing. Like, <laughs> that would be so embarrassing. You go from being like top dog, first female chief conductor of Berlin Philharmonic. Like, girl, that is like top tier. Yeah. One of the best, one of the best orchestras in the world. You are the first woman. And the next thing you know, you are conducting the music. For an anime movie or whatever it was, they were like everybody video in the game. costume. Everybody, it's like yeah. a video game movie, probably a video game movie. Like yeah, it's there, a video game series. Yeah, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, this has to be. This is like the. This is a fall from grace. This is a true yeah. fall from grace. Like dang girl, mm-hmm. wow. So so yes, like again, to me there are like a couple of different interpretations you can have from this ending. Because yes, initially I also thought, whoa, this is awful. She had this serious fall from grace. And now she's conducting for Monster Hunter. Mm-hmm. But then I think you can also interpret it as in some ways kind of a triumphant ending because she started her career with studying very specific music from indigenous groups. And now it's almost like she's back at that place. Like she's returned to her roots mm-hmm. of conducting and studying music from this very specific culture that now she still very seriously investigates and takes very seriously as an art form and it's a now it could be a way for her to get back into the art yeah but instead of having this grand scope now she's able to do it within her origins and that could also be a happy ending for her mm-hmm I also feel like I saw something online that people say that she was in Thailand because Thailand is known for their massage parlors, but mm-hmm. they're not like massage parlors like we have in the U.S. I guess yeah. I should say. 
So yeah, well, I mean, that was like a straight up brothel that she went yeah, to. Yeah, and I don't, I was watching that scene and I was like, is this normal? Like, does he usually recommend this to people? Because that's where he goes? Or does he know something about her? Right. And he was trying to like throw that in her face. Something like that. Mm. Like, I feel like when she runs out of the, I guess, brothel, she really has to like come to terms with like her own mistakes that she's made. And come to terms with the fact uh. like, girl, you brought yourself here. You are here. <laughs> this is the consequences of your actions. You don't live in Berlin no more. You don't drive a Tesla. You don't hang yeah. out with pretty girls no more. Like, it's just you in this stinky, dingy hotel by yourself. Mm-hmm. And now you are conducting yeah. orchestras for video game movies. Like, that's where we are. That's it's where you brought certainly... yourself to. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, because I watch it in theaters. When I when I watch it in theaters, I also was like, is this Thailand? Because, like, I, I'm Thai. My mom is from Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and it and it, it didn't feel 100% like Thailand, but I'm mm-hmm. sure that's kind of the vibe it was going for. Um, yeah, it's also, I, like, I, white people knowing what, like, different mm-hmm. um, cultures, like, <laughs> specifically have. Girl, right. I mean, he said BIPOC pan-gendered. Pan-gendered. <laughs> Like with the ED, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I think. Um, I also think you know when after she gets out of the brothel and vomits, I think you know it's also interesting because you know the 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 woman who made eye contact with her, she was number five, and number five is a huge motif in the film um, because that's the number of Mahler's. That's the symphony that Tar was never able to to finish and record. Mm-hmm. So it's also just her acknowledging or coming to an understanding that she couldn't complete this grand work mm-hmm. that she was looking looking towards. But again, I think it's you know, it could be a couple different interpretations. It either is like an absolute fall from grace, or it's a way that she can build herself back up by returning to what made her the meticulous artist she was in the first place. Yeah. And there are also just so many other things that I do love about the movie, especially like the last sequence she puts on her headphones. Um, mm. And she just like gets into it. Like she's just conducting. Because yeah. that's what she talked about in the interview in the first sequence that like she uses the tempo so that she can, you know, conduct, manipulate time and as right. someone who like tries to control every little bit of her life, when it comes to conducting, she surrenders herself to the music. Yes. And you see that in every scene that she actually yes. like conducts for her classes. Like she is so into it. And it is yeah. intense when you are watching it. Like she is in it. She is there. Like she has become part of the music. Like she is part of the orchestra herself. Like she's leading them through the absolutely music. and she's just so enamored in it and you see how much she loves it and you see how passionate she is about it but then she does things like mm-hmm. fires the old man yes. so that she can bring in the young girl mm-hmm. and you know pulls her like from the time the girl walks into the bathroom does the audition <laughs> is in yeah. the orchestra she usurps her first cello chair to have yeah. that girl be the soloist and then totally. is inviting this girl back to her ho- apartment. Like she has Wild. an apartment and a home with her wife. Like- right. Well, yeah, absolutely. And again, it's she just has so much so much power and people know 
people feel like they can't mess with her. She's because she's always and she's not reckless. She's not reckless with her power. She's extremely meticulous with how she conducts herself. Uh, conduct mm-hmm. but she is extremely meticulous meticulous with the way that she is constantly like moving to the next step of of progressing her relationships and progressing her power so she knows she knows she's not doing a good thing she knows that she could step over a line and that is something so fascinating to me that it's not like she's oblivious mm-hmm. She knows what she's doing. And to me, that is something that is so treacherous and scary, but also very real about people who have a lot of power and who are able to truly wield it in awful ways is that they are very careful with the ways that they do and don't overstep bounds to have that plausible deniability. And Lydia Tarr has always been able to have that. Oh yeah, the plausible deniability is there. Like, she literally hired someone that she wanted to sleep with in front of her wife. Like, <laughs> yeah. that's what she did. Like, she fires the older man, and she doesn't like this nice, like, you know, don't you want to retire? Don't you want to da-da-da-da? And he's like, it's yeah. the girls, isn't it? He talks about the, the mm-hmm. little favors that you grant. Oh, yes. And she's like, oh, wow. You're really going to say this to me? I thought you were progressive. I thought you were open-minded. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. Wait, and he's backpedaling because he doesn't want to get caught up. Because he right. doesn't want to be in trouble. But he was right. And, like, maybe he should stay on his ground. Like, that's the thing. Lydia Tarr stands so firm in her BS that, like, she believes it and then you believe it. Like, she was firm with the guy in the Juilliard scene. If he clapped back at her and defended his position, he probably would have put her in her place. But he didn't. Mm. He didn't do that. And this mm-hmm. older guy, if he clapped back at her and was like, no, 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 girl. We all see what you right. do. We all see right. what you're about. This is not the first, probably not the first time that she's done something like this. Like, you married your concert master. Mm-hmm. Y'all are married. Like, <laughs> marriage comes all from a long line of dating and other <laughs> things. You know what I mean? So, and also, to be in relationship with someone that you work with that's under you, that has to be some kind of abuse of power. Oh, absolutely. Again, it goes back to how Lydia Tarr does not know to have relationships that in which she... Equal footing. Right. She does not know how to be on equal footing with someone. She always needs to have more power Mm -hmm. in in the situation. Yeah. Exactly that. Exactly that. Yeah. Um, And I'd say it was watching her like kind of descend after the article mm-hmm. is released and she like kicks her wife out of the car Francesca Ugh. quits like when Francesca yeah. quit that was when I was like oh cause she <laughs> was gone like she was yes. straight up like you know what like I do have to think I do think about Francesca's character a lot because mm. she's so interesting to me even though she doesn't say a lot in the film she's right. one of those characters you watch and it's just the facial expressions like totally just the scene where Lydia tells her that she's not going to be her assistant conductor after working for her for God knows how many years she like like Francesca herself studied to be conductor 
she knows how to do this. And because she works so closely with Lydia, she knows her techniques. She knows how she works. She knows how she is. She already helps her and Sharon when it comes to like creating pieces for their orchestra. So she's right. already like right there as her right hand person. And for mm -hmm. her to take her assistant and make her mm -hmm. her assistant conductor, which is still her assistant, but in a completely different position in a different, completely different way. Like mm -hmm. Francesca had to know in some way or another that mm. this really wasn't going to happen. Like it's not even about the mm. emails. She was probably looking for something to just not give her the position. Because Interesting. like- Interesting, yeah. Even if she deleted the emails, she probably was just like, oh, your dedication and your hard work and your follow through is something I appreciate, which is why I need you to stay my assistant because I really can't right. trust anyone else to do the things that you do for me. Like, right. Yes. You know. Also, the yeah, assistant it's knows also like she right. knows everything about her. She can't hire someone else to be right beside totally. her all the time because Francesca is someone who is revere reveres her. But it's also afraid of her. So she can't yes. find someone else who is in the same way that Francesca is and be completely sure that they're not going to spill the beans to, yeah. you know, whoever it is. I also think it speaks to how Lydia's sense of loyalty does not go both ways. People nope. must be loyal to her, mm -hmm. but she doesn't need to be loyal to anyone else. Nope. It, yeah. Nope. Not at all. <laughs> not at all. And when homegirl Olga was not even interested in her and mm. was getting someone else's number at that book setting event. She was mad. She yeah. was big bad. And yes. when she saw her leaving the hotel after she was like, oh, yeah. I'm tired. I'll go to sleep. Like she was yes. like fully like lobby, like fully yes. out, ready, short <laughs> right. dress, high heels. Like, mm, I know she was pressed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I get, you know, it's like, as you were saying that, there are so many people who fawn over her and love her so much. And so when she meets someone who does not experience that, it she just like does not know what to do with that because yeah. she has been so used to and clearly loves the amount of attention she gets mm -hmm. and the adoration she gets. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it, I don't even know if I could say it's sickening, but at this point it's kind of like, girl, can you not see what mm -hmm. you're doing? Like, even um, her wife simply being like, you know, there are plenty of times where I have just accepted. There are things about you that I had to accept, and I can get over right. it. But the simple fact that you could not let me know that we are in danger, that you are out here doing things to the point where it's going to fall back on me. You know, right. like, ask for a counsel. Like, when they were first together, when they first knew each other, she saw her as a resource. She asked mm -hmm. her about the politics and what it was like there so that she could lean on her. And then when she, mm -hmm. I guess, mm -hmm. didn't serve her purpose anymore, yeah. she then tossed her away. And, you know, 100%. like, Lydia tried to spin it and be like, oh, you think our relationship is transactional? I'm like, girl, you <laughs> treat everybody like a transaction. 100%. Exactly. Again, it does not go both ways for her. No. Oh, oh, her relationships with people, well, they must be genuinely affectionate and loving and adoring of her and see her as a person. Mm -hmm. But she does not need to do the same for others. She can mm -hmm. see them as tools. And that's fine mm -hmm. because she is fine with that because that is what serves her and that is what's good for her. Mm -hmm. Like, imagine if her daughter 
grew up and was not a kid. Like, this kid is a toddler. Imagine if yeah. she was, like, a little bit older. Imagine she was in her right. teens and then mm-hmm. teaching this kid how to play piano. What if the kid was not into piano? What then, Lydia? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do then? You can't return babies, okay? I Yeah, I certainly would love to see the version of this in which it, it, it was about how Lydia Tarr, like, raises a daughter having this mindset. We don't see that much of her with her daughter directly. We do see her threatening her daughter's classmates. Mm-hmm. Clearly protective over her daughter, but I think it would be really interesting to see what she really is like as a mother knowing that also who fights children <laughs> who goes out there yeah. fighting children she does she has no she she has no qualms about it she's like oh you are you're in my way you're preventing something that i want you're doing something that i don't like i am going to ruin your life mm-hmm. and she will do that whether you are a child whether you are an assistant whether you are someone whether you are a total stranger she said move bitch <laughs> yes 100 percent, 100 percent. um what do you think about so so i say that this i don't really view this movie as being about cancel culture even though cancel culture does play a big part of it mm-hmm. i'm curious your thoughts on when all of this shit goes down and when all of these videos come out and testimonials come out. We as an audience see that, you know, the video of the Juilliard incident is like a highly edited, much different interpretation of what we saw actually happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts on whether or not the ways that the things that she accused of a good element, a good amount of elements of it are manipulated. Mm-hmm. And is that, is that right? Is that justified? Is that something that puts you more on Lydia's side? Puts you less on Lydia's side? I feel like with the video that was mm-hmm. edited and released, um, how can I say this? The person who recorded that video was just waiting. Mm. Like, mm. they were watching someone who is well-known, well-revered, extremely talented, someone who was brought in to teach them about conducting to Juilliard, a school mm-hmm. that is one of the hardest schools to get mm-hmm. into. Um, right. Namely in the U.S. in regards to music. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think that um, Max wasn't the only person who was disappointed in Lydia when she started her whole monologue and dialogue. And mm-hmm. the video was kind of like a tipping point to push her out of the public's favor. Mm-hmm. And even if like the full video was released, the video was like a small portion of everything. Right. Like, even when she was in that meeting with, I guess, like her team, they were just kind of like, yeah, the video, like they weren't even concerned about the video that much. Like, and mm-hmm. you shouldn't really need to be concerned about the video mm-hmm. that much. There is a girl who is dead. Like, right. straight up. Like, right. she's, it's like, she's not here. And Lydia Tarr is, like, the one person that people are looking at in regards to this. You know, the video is just kind of, like, a little extra mm-hmm. on on the side. You know what I mean? So it's not really, like, it's not the whole slice of pie. It's, it's just, like, right. it's, it's just, it's not even the whipped cream. 
<laughs> it's not even that. Like, it's just kind of like the juice that kind of like is sopping at the bottom of the crust so, when you're done. Like, it, it's like it's like it, it's it's like the piece that leads you to the actual issue. Yeah. And so that small piece is case well. of Lydia talk. Right. If you are making an totally. ice cream sundae and you sprinkle in some peanuts, they're there, but right. like they're not the the biggest part of the sundae. You know yeah. What I mean, totally, so totally. I feel like. Even if I feel like the video should have been released in its entirety, um, it's being released and edited and chopped down. It's just kind of speaking to like, it's just another critique of like millennials on their phone. Social media is the architect of your soul. Sure. People have short attention spans, so they can't watch a 10 minute video. Um, they would rather watch one short little clip of her and the fragmented words and even like the people in the meeting she had with her team they said like yeah we can see that it's clearly edited that's not the issue here girl like yeah we need like they asked her like you know we need you here for like an interview or something and she was like i have a deposition that i have to get to and even right. in the deposition you think they brought up the video no <laughs> they brought up the right the, the death. countless yeah. countless yes. emails from her yes. assistant from krista yeah. that's what matters you know it's not it's not something that's meant to distract you it's just something that's like hey this person is like this person um there was a there, this person who was a conductor had yeah. a student or some kind mm -hmm. of mentee who was, grew very close to the conductor and was pushed out of her inner circle and has now taken her own life and after that there were several women that came out saying that they had a similar relationship to Lydia Tarr and they also had their careers destroyed by her. And after the fact, there's a video of her saying some not nice things to kids in Juilliard. Like, it's very low on the totem pole. Yeah, I think it speaks to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it is not it's not the main thing. It mm -hmm. just is a small kernel that leads you to the bigger thing. Mm -hmm. And I do think there is truth to it and how often i don't know often but you know when these videos pop up of celebrities or people doing really terrible things maybe they're they are edited in a way to make the person look even worse however that doesn't change that that person probably has still done dubious things so yeah. maybe actual Maybe the actual video and some of these things were edited to make Lydia Tarr look bad. But as you said, that's not that's not even the whipped cream. There's so much going on. However, it's so interesting that the things that lead you to the actual wrongdoing are these hugely viral things that are not true. Mm -hmm. But the thing that's not true and totally taken out of proportion that gets you to the real truth about the person and the true wrongdoings. And I do think that is something that does often happen in quote-unquote cancel culture of people bringing up this thing that maybe was not great, but then leads you down this huge rabbit hole of like other things that this person has said or done and that now we're fixated on that thing and the original thing no longer matters. Yeah, that is true. And like, I'm honestly trying to rack my brain for like somebody that I would want to talk about on the podcast that was like, canceled recently but like the only ones that come to mind are the ones that i don't want to mention <laughs> like no i don't want to talk about that one let's not bring that up but like mm -hmm. i feel like um i do understand what you mean when it comes to that um it just seems like 
it does happen that does seem to happen a lot when like someone gets canceled in a way um there's one thing and then there's just like a monsoon right so much other stuff and to an extent to an extent it could happen to any of us you know especially those of us who are really raised on the internet a lot of things that we've done i delete all my old profiles (laughs) i certainly delete a lot of my old oh yeah i've deleted a lot of my internet footprint because i do not want that shit coming back but listen this is why i post a tiktok y'all don't need to know every single thing that runs through this head no that's fair trust me that's totally fair but I, I do think for for Tar, what I again something I really liked about the film is that the film never actually dwells on the question of did Lydia Tar do this or that. But clearly, we know by now Lydia Tar is super manipulative and super self serving, and she's selfish and she has no loyalty. Mm-hmm. So regardless of what she did or did not is true, it's really it's really about to what extent is it true because we know that she has the capacity to do awful things such as basically bully a person to death um because she just is so vindictive like that and so i like that the film doesn't become a movie about like a witch hunt but about like to what extent is a person who we know has the capacity to do this should they be punished for the things that they do mm-hmm. and in what way can they be punished for the things that they do and lydia tar is someone who absolutely yes yeah, she has absolutely abused her power maybe in the cases that the people are talking about maybe some of these are not true in some ways but we know that she has done it and that needs to be addressed in some way mm-hmm. yeah i also want to go back to the um question you posed to me about if it was a man or not yeah i'm starting to think about it and like do you remember that guy he brought up what was it exactly how there were like nazis that escaped germany and they came to the u.s and uh, they went through this process of denazification because she brought up this thing of like being accused is the same thing as being guilty because i think she was trying to find like some kind of um solace or advice from him after her like accusations had come out and he was straight up just like he was kind of going on and on about like the story and to be honest i was only half listening because i was kind of like okay what's the point of this <laughs> and then he ended up by saying and you know for the longest time i made sure all the hangers in my closet faced one way and then i was like what does that mean and then mm-hmm. she looks at him and i'm looking at him it's like oh oh mm. like girl you are in bed with a nazi what mm. so then i think like if it was a man would he even have been kicked out hmm, because i think that like it's um i really don't know how else to explain this but i just want to explain it this way it's like listen we let you be the first female conductor and also look you have a wife yeah fine all right she used to be your student. You know what? We've done that too. So like, we're kind of like the same girl. It's okay. Like you're cool. You're one of the cool ones. You know what I mean? But this, right. but yep. this, someone's dead now, girl. We can't excuse. Sorry, babe. Like, sorry. You're not even one of us though. You're not even us. Like you're a woman. Don't y'all have mm. to like keep your wiles about you? And also like, you're a girl. I mean, <laughs> come on now. I like, I, I mean, I'm progressive. I'm open-minded, but <laughs> 
this doesn't really help your people yeah. in this case you know what i mean and i feel like totally. if it was a guy, they would have been like hey bro Hey, you know what it is <laughs> well i do think it is significant that she is a female conductor in one of the most male dominated positions mm -hmm. in in the performing arts world certainly um and how that informs and how that has probably informed some of this self-servedness and manipulation because she needs to climb in some ways and for a lot of women for a lot of people of color it's hard to do that in a straightforward way so she's had to learn how to do it in a really duplicitous way I i'm not saying that that's absolutely true but i do think it adds that layer by having lydia tar be a woman mm -hmm. um and that and it makes me think is some of the backlash she gets how much of that is informed by homophobia i i don't know necessarily if it is informed a lot i don't necessarily think her being a lesbian is strangely i don't know if her being lesbian is super entwined in the story or at least within the social backlash she gets it's um, not entwined in like the social backlash yeah i feel like her being a lesbian it's it's part of the story but it's not the whole story you know, totally it's just totally it's it. not the whole story but i you know i, I think one of the reasons like, like this is this has become one of my favorite lesbian movies and a big part of that is because in a lot of the historical narratives we've seen about lesbians a lot of lesbians are 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 predatory evil villains who we want to see die and who are really violent. What I think make Tar what makes Tar so unique is that Lydia Tar is a true anti-hero, someone who we know has done a lot of bad things and is not necessarily a good guy, but who we are really invested in seeing what's going to happen to her. And it's very rare to actually have true lesbian anti-heroes. Usually you just see villains, but it's really rare, I think, in really nuanced to have that kind of character be a lesbian in this story i'm not gonna lie i look you do see her as a villain like mm -hmm. <laughs> totally 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 good totally interpretation yes yeah i mean watching the movie like from the jump when she's flirting with the girl outside the interview i'm just kind of like okay we're a little mm, you know and then we meet <laughs> her wife and her kid i'm like right oh okay and as we keep going through the movie i'm just like no girl yeah no 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 no. this is not it's not okay and also honestly you're right because like i'm when you when you watch any movie with a lesbian every why is it that in every single lesbian love movie there is the girl <laughs> and the, who is a lesbian and there's the girl who is bisexual or mm -hmm. closeted or whatever or it is. straight who thinks they're straight who thinks they're straight right and yeah. they're always in a relationship or they're about to get right. married and then right. like they have a little dalliance of friendship and then they cheat and then it's like <laughs> oh who do i choose what do i go with it's like almost every one like disobedience like and the i love one with um gosh Catherine heigl that uh one. uh jenny's jennifer's jenny's wedding jenny's wedding yeah yes like countless ones you see it even in like the favorite like, I yes. love that movie. 
I do think, yeah, I do think the favorite it kind of skirts along with Tar, but certainly like a lot of lesbian movies, there are very strong archetypes in lesbian movie plots. A lot of it is, you know, romance, slow paced romance. Some of it is romantic comedy, uh, but often it's about a lesbian trying to get together with another lesbian um, or a straight woman. But uh, often like lesbian movies are about love. And I think that's great. I constantly am always looking for more because that's what a lot of my audience wants. Mm. But I think there's something so thrilling about a movie like Tar that although for some queer women is like, this is not a net positive representative look for lesbians. I actually think it is quite powerful and thrilling to see a lesbian have these have this huge immense stature and have power in her world in a way we never see it is very rare to actually see representations of lesbians with power um and even though tar is like an abuser of power in so many various ways it to me it just like makes for like a really nuanced conversation on the nature of power and it just makes for a a very unique and compelling lesbian character we just don't see in a lot of lesbian media you are right like the nuance there is a lot of nuance when yeah. it comes to tar it is mm-hmm. chock full of nuance it is brimming <laughs> over the top with nuance the cup of nuance has a meniscus <laughs> over it like it's just ah i can't even i can't even hold it i'll spill it i'll spill it like it, it's it's so much yes and complexity and, so much complexity oh yeah 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 and kate blanchett she is phenomenal truly like i you know i i and i love everything everywhere all at once Mm -hmm. um and i loved uh michelle yo in that movie and as much as i loved that michelle yo won the oscar i was a little pained because i also thought kate blanchett should have gotten the oscar because i think it is a replicable right i don't know did she hold on let's look up kate blanchett's wikipedia real quick i feel like she might is it Wait, Kate Blanchett won Best Actress at the BAFTAs, Golden Globes, and Critics' Choice Awards. Okay, so she yeah, won. so she, she did yeah, so she did win awards. She which was great. I I you know again everything ever all at once is like another amazing movie that I loved mm-hmm. that year, um last year, which is that year, um, but yeah, I I wanted I I also just wanted people to appreciate Kate Blanchett does give an amazing performance in this role. She does, she truly does. And I have to say, like, if this is what we gotta do to get queer movies nominated, then yeah. so be it. <laughs> so be it. Gosh. Yeah. I yeah, do. totally. I you know, this is interesting. I don't want to get too much on a tangent, but often like I talk so much about lesbian movies, and a lot of my favorite lesbian movies are, you know, movies that are not centered on romance or in which romance is not necessarily a big part of it mm-hmm. all of so many of my followers all they want to know is do does a lesbian couple get together in the end does the lesbian live in the end that's yeah. all they really care about and to me that it, it's an unfortunate it really speaks to how starved a lot of queer women are for stories that are just happy love stories in which nothing bad happens to that's, lesbians that's me too i'm tired <laughs> totally of these like these queer love stories where people are cheating. I'm sick of it. Like, <laughs> totally, I totally. To ha- I wanted to enjoy the happiest season, and I couldn't. 
I just, oh my god, I, oh no, I love Happy really, Season, but okay. You're messy. You're, I, you're messy. I'm messy. Yes, I know. You one, are. Of, one of my favorite Christmas traditions is defending Happy Season as a good movie. Ugh. But, <laughs> but anyway, so, so, so sometimes like I've gotten nervous to be, to really praise a movie like Tar because I'm very cautious about my mostly queer audience really wanting to hold on to these happy stories in which mm-hmm. queer women are portrayed as their best. And I think it unfortunately causes us to really overlook, I think, amazing movies like Tar that are not happy lesbian movies, mm-hmm. but they are lesbian movies in which we are able to see representations of ourselves in mm-hmm. ways like we never have before. Also, I think that um, there are a lot of queer people they want representation, but it has to be infallible. Like, it 100%. has to be some kind of character who's like, I need this movie to be, like, this queer person. They need yes. to represent queer people in the best way possible, so that if right. someone who's homophobic comes across this movie, they suddenly completely change their mind about my mm-hmm. sexuality. And babe, right. let me say something right now. Yes. We're just here to have fun and, like, listen, there's a reason why be, be gay, do crime is such a huge thing on TikTok. <laughs> okay yes yes sorry sorry right like absolutely 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 yeah but uh i'm really glad that i got to watch tar this is really gonna push me to watch all the other queer movies i've been putting on for so long <laughs> oh my gosh so, hey you know if you need a list you know who to call <laughs> look anytime i need to re- watch like anytime i need a recommendation it's like you i watch on tiktok and then it's someone else that I watched. Her name is Luscious um, on TikTok. Um, Luscious Garbage. She recommends Ooh. a lot of like older movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the movies she recommends are very, very good. I've had her on the podcast. I've also had Alexa recommends movies. She is phenomenal. Like She is so amazing and smart. Last time I had her on the podcast, like blew me out of the water with like how much she knows about... We talked about Sofia Coppola at length and you know we discussed like her and like her filmmaking and uh how phenomenal she is like you know our female directors inherently feminist directors simply Mm. because they're female and then discussing like the feminism that she uses uses in her movie namely from her film god i forget the name but it was the one with dakota fanning and nicole kidman and it was shot on the same plantation Mm. That Beyonce shot her sorry music video. Oh. <laughs> I, I forget the name of the movie, but like just exploring uh, her and also talking about Nepo babies as well. Oh, yes. Sofia Coppola is a huge Nepo baby. Oh, yeah. Nepo baby supreme. Yes. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like we've talked about Tar at length. Um, is there any last, are there any last things you would like to say? about this movie besides the fact that Kate Blanchett is amazing. <laughs> uh I also I do just to talk a, a little bit about the the visuals of Tar. I think it is so fascinating when a movie can be so grayscale, like there's so much black and white and gray and Lydia Tar has this I think quite ugly brutalist home that is kind of gross to look at and yet the film is always able to show to show these things despite it being a colorless world in a quite beautiful way and i think it just really speaks to how carefully curated and brutal the world of 
classical music can be, the nature of power, and I, I thought, you know, it's just like a beautifully done movie that I love. Please see it and love it. Yes, and I also would like to say, um, the last part of the movie where she like meets her brother, I feel like mm. it's like another little like nugget that I enjoyed oh, because she great. goes to this like random house and she yes. watches um this tape of Leonard Bernstein conducting, mm -hmm. and the guy walks into the home and I'm full of just like who is this dude? Who is he? Why is he in her house? And he calls her Linda instead yes. of Lydia. Yes, and it's just like oh. This right. girl's a liar. Yeah, 100%. That to me, I, yes, thank you for bringing that up because that totally encapsulates so much of who Lydia is as mm -hmm. someone who, and to me, this is when I, I was like, well, at the ending of the movie could in some ways be a triumphant ending because she is returning to her roots as an artist. Mm -hmm. And this is a woman who has completely destroyed or tried to abandon her roots as this new jersey girl mm -hmm. named linda tar with two r's mm -hmm. and no longer sees herself as that person so i think a lot of the ending of the movie is about like what it really means to go back to your roots and start anew yeah i honestly i just saw that last part and i was like oh she a poser for real like totally she's a poser absolutely like a poser from day one, yeah. day one, everything about her, fake, manipulative, curated. Yes. And then that also makes me think about like how she was like a pro possibly a young kid thinking about moving away from home and mm -hmm. her like daydreams and fantasizations of like power mm -hmm. and being this like amazing person. And right. you know, people who from a young age have like this fantastical thinking of like i'm better than you i'm better than everyone else i don't belong here i'm going to rise above you people i'm gonna leave you behind we'll do anything they can to hold that power in their yes. hands or do whatever they can to like 100%. keep that sense of self you mm -hmm. know of that Absolutely. they are better that they are more powerful and to keep that equal like keep that footing where like they are on the pedestal and you are beneath them mm -hmm. so just getting that little extra nugget Yes. In the film. Definitely just like solidified that for me. Yeah. But guys, uh, that was our discussion of Tar. Uh, so we're just going to hop into the last segment before we sign off. It's going to be a watch list where we talk about movies and TV shows that we are recommending to you guys. Things that we're excited to watch. Things that we're currently watching right now. Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I'm actually watching right now is The Great. It is mm -hmm. a show on Hulu starring Elle Fanning and mm -hmm. nicholas holt and it is basically i talked about this on the podcast before but i want to bring it up again because i'm still watching it and it's actually like really good i'm actually enjoying the show a lot and um i excuse me first started watching the show because like i love elle fanning i think she is phenomenal listen one of my favorite white white women one of my <laughs> top top white women top white women honestly <laughs> and she's been in a lot of like really good movies like are they seen as good critically no but like who cares okay she's Elle Fanning she's amazing and Elle Fanning you know Elle Fanning Dakota Fanning like the two of those girls love them to death think right. they're phenomenal um I love that she like received an Emmy for being in the great because she yeah. absolutely deserved this because <laughs> this show is so funny it's basically like a satirical historical comedy 
um, about, it's loosely based off of the rise of power of Catherine the Great, who's the Empress of all Russia, and um, Elf plays Empress Catherine II, Nicholas Holt plays Emperor Peter III, and it's so good, so funny, so juicy. It honestly doesn't hold back, and I feel like Hulu is a streaming service that has a lot of original programming, but Mm -hmm. not many of the shows that are original Hulu shows really stand out on its own, you know? And if you're looking for, like, shows that stand mm. out on its own, it's not really, like, Hulu shows, it's ne- it's FX shows, and that's on FX. Like, the only reason why people really watch it is because it's on Hulu. Like, people aren't watching TV, like, live anymore. Um, any other, like, original Hulu shows, I think that kind of stand out on their own is High Fidelity, which was the remake of the film, and that was a really good show. I watched it. I loved it. I was so sad when it was canceled because I yeah. genuinely enjoyed that show. I thought it was really cool, and it yeah. was a lot of fun. Um, another show I think that was original on Hulu is a show called uh, Bisexual, and then there's a show the Bisexual, yes, yeah, the Bisexual Harlots, and then mm-hmm. Harlots, and then there was a show that Billy Eichner was on that um, Amy Poehler produced. Difficult. People? Difficult people. Yeah, I think that was also yes. a show that was on Hulu that people like. Mm-hmm. I never watched that show because um, there was one episode that I heard about the grapevine that they made a joke about Blue Ivy getting peed on by R. Kelly. So that was oh. kind of like, oh. <laughs> sure. Yes. I know that later Billy Eichner apologized for that joke. But um, yeah, that oh, good. kind of put me off to it. Uh, mm-hmm. But The Great is honestly a very, very good show, and I've enjoyed it immensely. When I first started watching it, it was a little slow to me, but it did start picking up, and it's super interesting, and it's hilarious. Like, the humor, the cast, the costume, the performances, everything about it is phenomenal. I'm I'm finishing the second season tonight, and I'm going to start the third season probably tonight as well. So that's something I recommend everyone to watch. I know I already... I know if you've already listened to like a past episode, I've already recommended it to you. Guess what? I'm recommending it again. <laughs> Go watch it. Thank you. All right. Anything that um Oh, also Tony McNamara. Mm-hmm. He is the writer and creator of the show. He also co-wrote The Favorite. So if mm-hmm. you like The Favorite, you should watch The Great. Boy do I. <laughs> okay. Do you have any recommendations? I do. I think people should be watching Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies. I think Oh my god. Wait, is that a Peacock? It's on Paramount Plus, actually. Oh. Wait. Um uh, that's a show I know, yeah. So I obviously I am a theater girly and yeah. I was very skeptical of Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies. I do not care for the musical Grease. I never really had much of a kinship for it. Yeah. And however, Grease Rise of the Pink Ladies is so clever and smart and fun. It's mm-hmm. a prequel to the events of Greece. However, it's set in 1954, but instead of being a literal one-to-one ratio of what 1954 was like, it very similar and reminiscent of Greece in a ways. It ta- it uses the time period to really talk about more modern issues. So mm-hmm. modern issues of race and sexuality are filtered through this lens of the 1950s but it's not literally like they don't address segregation but they do address what it means to be a white presenting person in a latino household and 
issues like that. And it has some really fun songs. It's just a very delightful ensemble show about high schoolers and about growing up. And it's also gay. Obviously, I would not talk about it if it wasn't gay. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's like the biggest it was the biggest surprise to me. In the first episode, I was like, yeah, I don't really know where this is going. But the last episode of the season is premiering next week, and I'm very hooked. I think it's a great show to watch. That reminds me of A League of Their Own. Uh, so okay, I, I have love to League say of Their this. Own. I yeah. have to say this. This has to Uh-oh. be said. I Tell don't me. know what's going on at Amazon, and I don't know who you think you're trying to fool. All right. Uh huh. I've seen The Boys. I've seen <laughs> what you people have put on that show and called art. Okay. Listen <laughs> to me. Like, homie from Supernatural. All right. Eric Kripke. I don't remember the sins of your past. Okay. And you've brought them here to the present. Okay. With the things that they get away with on that show. Someone needs to explain to me why Amazon greenlit A League of Their Own for a final second season and they only gave them four episodes. Are you serious right now? I know. Are you for real? Are you for real? Totally. Is it the curse of superheroes? Is that what it is? Or is it the true enemy, which is capitalism? Huh? I mean, it's it's a myriad of issues. Like, I don't know. This is, to me, like, a huge issue with streaming shows in which, like, they, you know, they don't advertise what their ratings numbers are. So we don't know what the benchmarks it is for a show like League of Their Own. Um, but oh, certainly it has, like, a very loyal fan base. It does. And let me say something. Yeah. With all the shows that are on Amazon, you cannot tell me that Jack mm-hmm. Reacher is more popular than A League of Their Own. You can't right? tell me that whatever show um, Jim Halbert from The Office is on is more popular than <laughs> The League of Its Own. Like, with the totally. amount of promotion and marketing that Amazon does for their TV shows on their boxes, on their buses, on their website, on other people's websites, you couldn't tell me The League of Their Own couldn't get a banner, couldn't get a side, couldn't get a little thing on the bottom. You could have slapped them on a box when you're sending somebody a new pair of shoes really yeah i know it's it's wild and i don't know i don't know what their expectations are i don't know what their benchmarks are i i don't know i don't know and i and and you know amazon prime has produced many shows that many queer women have loved and then they got canceled and the league of their own is the latest continuation of that and it's and you know i i don't necessarily think prime is targeting shows about queer women but there's just not a lot to go. There's just not a lot to go around, so it's it not always hurts. Off of either. Yeah. How many Amazon Prime shows do we really know? Besides Marvelous Miss Maisel, like, how many of Amazon Prime's television shows are like a league of their own, where it is a film, it's a show with you know queer women leading the story. Yeah. Like, no, not not a lot. I mean, and even in Marvelous Miss Maisel. Like that character, she didn't. It wasn't even officially confirmed she was a lesbian until like this season. Mm-hmm. The last um, season. Until the la- until the very last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, pa- Paper Girls, The Wilds, those are both shows that really centered queer women. Both of them got canceled mm. prematurely. Mm. The Wilds was a good show, by the way. I loved that show. It was really, really good. 
The Wilds is good. Uh, the boys in season two did not do it for me, though. And I think that's what happened with a lot of us. A lot of us were like, I don't care about men. I don't want to watch yeah. this. I'm not going to lie. Like, I usually, I this is my strong opinion when it comes to television shows, that the second season is always the best season. Now, mm. this doesn't really fare well for, like, shows that have been on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, if a show has, like, more than, like, maybe five seasons, then maybe the second season isn't the best, you know? I would say for Parks and Rec is one example, but for me, Parks and Rec, I consider the second season the first season. The first season to me does not exist. We start mm. Parks and Rec oh, yes, Andy in the ditch. 100%. After she's broken 100%. up with, like, that's the first season. The second season is the first season. That's what it is for me. But totally. with shorter with shows that are a lot shorter, the second season is the best season. And for me personally, I think The Boys is the the second season is the best because it already has the established characters. We have the story going. Mm-hmm. We know what the we know what we're supposed to be doing. We know what the goal is, and we brought in somebody new. So you already know who everyone is in the show and you already know the stakes of the show and someone new is here to spice things up. That just makes it better because you've already built the foundation and now mm-hmm. we're just rising from there. I did the same totally. the third season. It had its issues. It had its problems. And I don't think the fourth <laughs> season is really going to help it because you made mm-hmm. the only brown character. Uh, You know, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but like The Boys is one of those shows where it's like, Ooh, you're kind of progressive, but then you do things where it's like, mm, are we feeding the beast we're trying to defeat? And totally. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah. So a league. Of, they also haven't even announced season two of a league of their own. They haven't even announced it. I don't know when it's coming out. So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. It's why all would terrible. You do this to be Amazon. Why I don't you, know. Why could you at least let them have a full second season? Like right. full. I... I mean, you know, again, this goes to the thing that the writer's strike is about. There are so many more shows, which means that there's less time and money for marketing, but the shows themselves are so much shorter with mm-hmm. much smaller staffs. Yeah. And so now you have like a very saturated market with not as much marketing. And so all of these shows that are theoretically targeted that could have like very make maybe smaller but incredibly loyal audiences those are just going to get shafted because they just these streaming services just want the next big thing not every show can be stranger things like truly not every show can be stranger things maybe if you gave these shows a little bit of push a little bit of marketing and a little time to breathe and build an audience and build their stories then it could happen instead of netflix canceling shows after they've been on their site for a month I know Netflix. Netflix is the worst. I'm pretty. Netflix is terrible um, with canceling shows. But again, you know, I was thinking. I think I was reading a statistic recently about how network, like TV networks, will generally cancel sixty percent of the shows that they produced after their first season or within their first season. So, contextually speaking, a lot of these streaming services are very much in line with that. However, I don't. It just feels. Now there are just so many more TV shows out there, so it feels like way more shows are being canceled. And now, and we're also at the point where there's just way more diversity in TV shows, so it feels like, well, way more diverse shows are being canceled. And maybe nominally that's not true, but because of the way that the market works, because of the amount of stuff that's happening, 
now like people might have just a couple things they really hold on to well all these things we really hold on to are just being canceled so like what's the point yeah that's true and also it it feeds itself you know because mm-hmm. there will be network exams network network execs that are like oh tv shows centered around queer stories or women don't do well they don't right. pay well and then you release the show, and then they end up canceling sixty percent of those shows. And some of those shows may include um, stories, TV shows, films with a uh, queer lead, female uh, person of color who is the lead mm-hmm. of that work. And then they don't get the chance to grow their audience. They don't get the chance to get their footing. They don't get the chance for people to watch it and enjoy it and love it. And then they're just like, "Oops, well." I'll, I, 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 I mean, what can we say? We tried. Yeah. I mean, look. 100%. Look. 100%. I mean, we gave you guys a month. And, you know, did we yeah. promote the three biggest shows with three big name actors on in those shows on our site? Yeah. Did we push your TV show a little bit lower in the list? Yeah. Did we cancel mm-hmm. your show? Yes. That's not our fault. It's your fault for not watching it enough. What do you want us to do? You're yeah. mad because we promoted Too Hot to Handle after every single show for a whole month in the summer and didn't even think about your little show? Come on. what? Do you... It's like you want us to solve these problems that we create. Yeah. Like, be reasonable, you know? Totally. Yeah. Okay. Uh, is there any other recommendations you have for our listeners today? I don't know if I have any other recommendations. I would have to... I mean, the only other thing I'm watching is um, Pressure Cooker. It's this mm. reality show on Netflix where um, there are these cooks. These are these chefs. They're like professional, um, I guess, world-class chefs, you could say. And they're all in this competition where they all live in a house. It's like Big Brother and Hell's Kitchen all in one. They all live in a house and they all have to cook for each other. And then they vote on who stays and who goes. They get split up at the teams. They get split up at the challenges. It's a really great show. And honestly, when you start watching the show, you realize how some people start playing the game and how it gets like really unfair really quick. And I'm only in like the third episode and already I've like whenever if you... I used to not watch reality shows because, like, I used to think they were garbage. But now I kind of get into them a little bit because, like, this is for fun. This is for fun. Let's turn off our brain a little bit. We don't have to be all, like, hoity-toity <laughs> and watching only high-class cinema. Like, let's have some fun. Let's have, yeah. let's bring in some joy into our lives. And reality shows bring me joy because I get to turn my brain off and have fun. And That's fair. Show... I mean, look, I, I'm sorry. Nope. No, you're fine. Go ahead. No, I look, I've been a Bachelor girly for years, so I feel you. The Bachelor? Yeah, yep. I I love oh. the Bachelor franchise. Oh. I'm I'm into it. <laughs> That's the one reality show I don't think I can get into because I can't suspend my belief enough to watch it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just kind of mm-hmm. makes me cringe. Like I sure. low key want to watch Love Is Blind, but at the same time I don't because a lot of the people on that show end up being really annoying. I don't I don't watch any of the Netflix reality shows. I think so many of them are like really cynical and mm-hmm. weird, and I don't like them. Like the uh, what is it? The social? The circle? The circle? Yeah. Yeah. I can never watch this show. Everybody on there is cringy. 
No. And also, like, like Netflix just released The Ultimatum, which this season is all lesbian and oh, queer. Yeah. And I I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I cannot I watch, have that. To watch that. But it's I so cynical. It's it. the most cynical premise listen, possible. Listen, you know, <laughs> there is a there is a lesbian on there who is biphobic and there's somebody on there who's transphobic you know there's someone on there who is there is at least one person who is part of that cast who we are not Maybe. meant to like okay i'm sure a lot of them man. i'm sure <coughs> many of them i'm ready i'm on i'm going to watch that like honestly i'm going to watch it because i did watch the first season of the ultimatum and that is probably one of the worst dating reality shows that netflix has ever made because oh totally why would you in your right mind separate from your partner that you've been with go be with someone else for three weeks and act like you're in an actual relationship and then get back together with your partner and then decide if you want to get married why would you bring nonsense why would you bring me this nonsense i know why would you sign up for this Right. Why that's why I'm yes to this. Totally. Well, that's why I'm like, I don't want I don't want this to be the lesbian reality dating show. Just watch Love Trip oh Paris. God. Please just watch Love Trip Paris. Love Trip Paris? Yeah, Love Trip Paris. It's a it's a reality dating show on free form and it's about four women, four American women who go to Paris to find love and three of the women are queer. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of seeing women date women and it's delightful. And you know what? It's not, it's a, it's not a totally cynical premise about how you have to give someone an ultimatum before you dump them. It's mm. just about people finding love in Paris and it's mm. delightful. So please watch that instead of watching the ultimatum. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to watch Love Sure Paris. And <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna at least watch the first episode and of see course. if you wanna stick around for it. If I do end up watching the whole season, you can't hold it against me. I already said I was no. reality show trash. No, 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 I no, no, no. Said no I, was. I would not. I would not. Would I never. Would it. never hold it against you. Yeah, but pressure cooker. I'm actually very excited to watch that because okay. it's it's a lot of fun to watch it, and it's also like super intense. And like you know when you watch a reality show. There's always somebody you, there's always like the people when you're watching it, you're like, oh, I don't like you. I <laughs> do not like you. And if I knew you in real life, we would have serious problems. Like me, myself, and I, I'm not someone who beefs. I'm not really a confrontational person. But I feel like if there was one day where I was on a reality show and you pushed me to that point, it would, it would just have to happen. Like it would just have to happen. Cause like, why would you play in my face? We're yeah, on TV. There are cameras. If yeah. I watch this back and you make me look dumb, I'm coming to your house and then I'm recording that. Alright? Let's put mm-hmm. that online. Let's give some behind the scenes on how you got me messed up. <laughs> so, yes. yes. Uh, I think those are the things I recommend to everybody to okay. watch. Is there anything that you would like to recommend? Did you recommend something else besides Love Trip Paris? Uh, I've talked about Grease Rise as Pink Ladies. I think that's good with me. I think that's a good list for people to check out. Okay, awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of I've Been Meaning to Watch That. Thank you, Aria. Aria? Yeah, Aria. Aria. Thank you, Aria, for coming on the pod. Uh, this is a lot of fun. Uh, it's always like, whenever I see that the podcast is like a little longer than like an hour and a half, I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's like this is that's when you know it's good that's when you yes. know we had a great time i was part of the podcast that was like three hours long oh dang <laughs> i just split it up into two 
Cause like me and my mm. <laughs> me and my guests, we just kept going. <laughs> just, like, we were just talking about one thing, and we just kept going. And by the way, like when we were recording, he should have told me like Monica, I can only do an hour. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> fine, that's fine, cause he lives in the UK. And when we were recording, it was like the middle of the night for him. It's like that's fine. And then he kept going on. And I was like. <laughs> messaging him like do you have to go and he yeah. didn't see them and then we, we got to like the like i don't think it was three hours it was close to three hours it was like two hours and like 50 minutes when we stopped yeah. recording finally i was like we went off forever he's like i know and i'm like are you tired he's like no he's like not at all so yeah this was a lot of fun thank you so much for coming on um i'd love to have you on again you know? oh that'd be lovely yeah yay great and guys thank you so much for listening don't forget to subscribe to the patreon so you can get access to the full video podcast they are only available on patreon if you want to watch clips follow us on tiktok and instagram if you want to watch highlights follow us on youtube follow us on twitter for updates about the pod and don't forget to you know like and subscribe on youtube obviously but follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Tell your family, tell your friends. And I will see you guys next week in another episode. Bye. Bye.